When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm delighted to say my guest this week is the former Masters champion, Alan McManus. Now, of course, uh, still going strong on the tour, very much so, but also working uh, as a television pundit, most prominently for ITV4. Alan, how did you get into snooker? Um, my first memory actually was the 1980 World Championship, which I guess I was nine at the time. I seen Cliff Thorburn beat Alex Higgins, and although I didn't at that age, you don't really know what's going on. I thought, oh, what's that? You know, and obviously it was the Crucible, and um, but I didn't immediately think, oh, I need to play that. You know, it was um, uh, it just kind of struck me, a, a sort of vague memory. But then I think that maybe the following Christmas, as the story goes, with pretty much every player. Um, it was actually my older brother got a snooker table, being the older one, obviously, and uh, Christmas morning I was hitting balls around and, and got got a bug for it, probably around the age of 10. Um, and nothing really more than that, apart from smashing balls around in, in the small table in the house. But then I was in a shopping sort of precinct with uh, my mum when I was, I guess, about th- 12, 13, and, and we looked across the street and there was a snooker club. And I thought, oh, what's going on there? So we decided to go in and have a look. And anyway, there was a group tuition um, every Sunday morning for a bunch of guys. And I decided to go to that. It was only, I think, a couple of pounds to go and, and uh, went to that every Sunday morning. And from there, sort of one week led to two weeks, which led to a month. And then six months down the line, I was going into school and sort of practicing my bridge on the you know on your desk and that kind of thing and had half an eye for it I guess and, and I thought well I'll maybe start playing more regular and and then through school I actually I changed schools um through secondary I think I was in about third year a secondary and um I changed schools the new school that I went to that when I arrived at you know getting to know a few of the boys they were all good lads and they said listen we go down a pool hall at lunchtime mm-hmm. And we play, I think it was 20 pence ahead. Do you play? I said, well, a little bit, yeah. I said, I'm 
So that was lunch paid for for the next couple <laughs> of years, which was quite handy. But uh, yeah, that was pretty much it, you mm. know. Because mm. a lot of Scottish players since, of course, have been inspired by Stephen Hendry. But this was pre-Hendry, and, mm. and in those yeah. days, there were Scottish professionals, but they weren't winning tournaments, were they? That's right, and and one of them that took the group tuition was Jim Donnelly, um, who's a, a kind of Glasgow-based guy. Um, but you're right, Stephen wasn't. I didn't even know of Stephen Hendry until I actually had become a decent-ish player, I guess, around 1985, uh, by which time I was about 14, 85, 86, um, when, when Stephen Dennis had the black ball final. Um, and then Stephen, I, I, I guess, when he turned pro, and my earliest memory of him was, apart from whispers I'd heard, obviously he was an amateur at one time, but he, I remember he won the Winfield Masters down in Australia. And, and the, at that time, I was still going to the group tuition. There was a bunch of us. You're thinking, who's this guy, Stephen Henry? He's winning. You know, he's, I think he'd be Alex or someone in the aggregate final or Mike Hallett or someone like that. And, and we thought, God, this, this guy must be good, you know, although <laughs> we didn't know much of him. Mm. But, but certainly at that time... There was 20 or 30 guys in the group, and at least half a dozen, maybe 10, could play a bit, mm. and, and it just kind of spiralled from there, you know. Yeah. So how do you go from being a boy playing for lunch money to turning professional? What happened? You must have improved pretty rapidly. Yeah, I had that unusual sort of path into the pro game in that I, I didn't actually play in an amateur event until I was 16, like a proper Scottish amateur event. Um, I played in the club... Um, played in a couple of the team things with the older guys, obviously. And then one of them said, yeah, I'm, I'm playing in the Scottish such-and-such such next Sunday or whatever. And I said, what, what's, what's that? You Because know, it, was, it was only local stuff I ever played. And I said, what's that, what's that you're talking about? And it was Scottish Open or something up in Kirkcaldy or some Edinburgh or somewhere. And uh, I thought, oh, I wonder what's going on. So I, I then found out that there was junior, obviously, tournaments... Um, but what happened, I was too old to enter the Scottish under-16s. That's what I, the first one I would have played in. But I just missed the closing date with my birthday being in January. I think it was, uh, you know, New Year's Day was the close. Anyway, um, so the first tournament I entered, I think I was actually 16, which was pretty late, mm. considering the stories were now, you know, yeah. famous stories about Ronnie and John and the other lads being good at a young age. Although I could play. Um, so I... I I think the first tournament I ever played in was the Scottish under-19s, but I'd never really played in anything of any substance. And uh, I got to the final, unexpectedly. No one had heard of us, no one. And, and that was pretty unexpected. So I thought, well, maybe I can compete a little bit with it. you know. So I started playing in more and more ranking events, proper ranking events, and then oh, uh, eventually, after a year or two, started winning some Scottish junior titles, which were under-18s-ish at the time. Uh, got in the Scottish junior team, then started travelling down south to Pontons and the like, um, and, and sort of a half-thinking, maybe I could be decent at this one day. And, and it's, as I say, spiralled a bit of spiral from there. Yeah. So you turned pro three, was it the old pro ticket? Yes. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's interesting looking back because it, it's, it's a completely different system now, obviously. But back then... I think the Pro Ticket Series started roughly in about 86, 87 and, and lasted until uh, when I turned pro in 1990, which was the last year of them. And basically everyone went to Pontins. There was a series of three Pro Ticket tournaments, four, five or six hundred entries, a lot of which would be holidaymakers playing for fun, but a good chunk of it were guys who were semi-serious about the game. And um, 
the first two tournaments actually I did nothing, and which was Isla White and Camber Sands or Camber Sands, um, and I went to the third one basically just because I, I I think going into it I thought I had to get to the final, which would have meant winning about nine matches or eight matches to get to the. So I thought nothing's going to happen. Anyway, I got to the semis and uh, actually lost to Drew Henry. And at the time, I thought I had to beat Drew to get in what they called then the pro ticket playoffs, which, to quickly explain, were almost the top 32 guys of the pro ticket series rankings uh, formed 32 players who played down to eight. So you had a, a, a mini group of four, a bit like this week at the Champion of Champions, actually. But uh, So um, I, I, I scraped in, I think, in last place in the, the, the group of 32 or, or I, sorry, actually, I thought I was going to scrape in. Anyway, I got an email. Uh, sorry, I didn't get an email. It was a long time ago. Postcard. Yeah, postcard. <laughs> yeah. And um, so I got a, a letter from World Snooker saying, you and another guy, a guy called Jason Whitaker, actually, are joint 32nd, let's say. Uh, so you have to play a playoff to get in the playoffs. <laughs> so, and, uh, you know, so, yeah, um, that's another story. But uh, anyway... I went to play Jason Whitaker, and it was actually really good because I think the qua- it was at Blackpool at the old Norbreck, and the qualifying was on for either the World Championships or I think it would have been the World because it was early spring. And um, we, so we played on like pro conditions, which I'd never even played in a pro table almost. And, and I managed to beat Jason Whitaker, so I'm, now I'm in the playoffs, and I was in a little group, and I played a guy called Pete Donegan from Leeds, I believe. Uh, and the winner of that match looked like they were going to play Dave Harold, who was one of the best amateurs around that mm-hmm. time. But I still didn't really f- fancy myself to maybe get through and turn pro. Anyway, I played Dave Harold after after Pete Donegan. And I played good. I played really well. Um, got through that match. And then you had to play one of the bottom professionals at the time, which I, I believe actually there's only one guy ever amateur lost to a pro, and I think I could be right. I think it was Darren Clark. Okay. Um, it was it was players basically very much at the end of their careers dropping off the tour, wasn't it? I mean, Fred yeah. Davis, I think, had to play one. Yeah, he yeah, he was in the group yeah. that uh, you know. The, in fact, my, Jason Ferguson was another who mm. played. Um, I think he played Billy Kelly. Mm. I think he was he was actually seven five down. I remember, <laughs> and he anyway won ten seven. But uh, yeah, I played a guy called Dennis Hughes who I'd never even heard of, and he was a pro, as you mm. say. Um, but just a quick funny story. I um, when I came out of the match with Dave Harold, I went into the tournament office and Anne Yates, who you, obviously mm. you, we all know at the time, tournament uh, director, she was t- tournament director, and uh, she said, "Oh, well done, Alan. Um, just to let you know, you play Dennis Hughes tomorrow at one o'clock and seven o'clock, whatever." I thought, "Who? What? I've never heard it." Fine, thanks very much, Anne. I walked out the door and John Ray was standing, mm. at Scottish professional. Uh, of, of quite a few years standing and uh, I walked out and John said to me who do you play tomorrow you know a wee man I was only 19 mm. he said eh, who are you playing I said uh, Dennis Hughes and he kind of started laughing <laughs> not in a bad way mm. not in a derogatory way he just he, for my benefit he kind of said oh well you're a pro you know you're, you're mm-hmm. going you'll beat him you know <laughs> and I thought oh well oh, good you know I thought oh, <laughs> So anyway, I played that match, and cut a long story short, I got through 
pretty pretty easily because mm. um, the guy was older and probably didn't play much. Mm. So that was me. Almost turned pro, not by accident, but without really setting my heart on it. Yeah. You know, and actually, then the, you, you played your first match as a pro the following day. Right. So I, I kind of, a, and the first match was the Rothmans Grand Prix against uh, Tommy Murphy from Northern Ireland. And uh, I, it was kind of surreal because I found myself sitting playing a match with Rothmans things on. And mm. only a couple of years previous, I'd been watching TV events with Rothmans mm. Grand Prix and other tournaments and thinking, oh, that must be great, you know. and so all of a sudden I was doing it and I'm kind of looking around thinking this is a bit weird you know mm. but anyway so it really happened quickly for me you yeah. know I mean it's a, it's a big step up from the amateur to the pro ranks but your, your first season I mean you, you did incredibly well you won the Masters qualifier got to the UK semis mm. you, you really seemed to hit the ground running yeah it was a, a, as I said um, just, just a second ago you played right away so Basically what happened, I played the Rothmans, um, you had two matches to get to the venue, which was down at Reading, the Hexagon. I won those two matches, and the following two days you played in the UK, the same format, two matches to get to the Preston Guildhall. So I won my four matches to get, so I'd, I'd been a pro four days and I was at two venues, and <laughs> I'd probably earned about 5,000 quid, which was a lot of money, it's a lot of money now, um, and it was, it was nice back then, so I thought I'd, I'd been a pro a week, and I... <clears throat> Sorry, um, I think just after that was Dubai Classic qualifying mm. or something, something like that, and I, and I think I won one or two matches in that maybe, and, and won another couple of bob. So I um, I started then going to tournaments and I'd won some money and I thought this is good, you know. And then the UK, I remember, I, I didn't get through in Dubai or which whichever the tournament was. So I actually had about after playing the Rothmans, I had about six weeks before the the UK, and I remember actually setting my heart on practicing. I actually practiced for six weeks, about eight hours a day for a one tournament. I thought, I'm going to give this a right go here, you know, I'll have a have a right go at it. And I played, um, I think it was Steve Newbery and Dennis Taylor to get on the TV, and I, I got through those matches. So all of a sudden, I, I was in the last, it was the last 16 at the time, was was just televised. And I played Silvino, Francisco. And... Uh, I was pretty nervous. It was a big TV, and things were different then, as you as you know, Dave. With you know, there was only four or five TV channels. We didn't have like a choice of three hundred of them. Snooker was big, big news. You know, with Henry it was just coming through on, on the back of the Davis years, and it was uh, you used to have something called Sport on Friday, I think it was, which was a big show with Helen Lederer, I think, who was the main presenter. Uh, was it Helen? Helen Rollison. Helen Rollison. Yeah. Sorry, I'm, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Helen Ledger's a comedian. Yeah, she is. Yeah. She is. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the, the the great Helen Rollison mm. uh, presented it. So, um, I found myself playing Silvino, and I, and I thought oh, I, I was nervous, you know, because I, I I'd, I'd hardly even met a professional before yeah. turning professional. It was kind of mm. strange. Well, nowadays you think of you know PTC events and mm. all the amateur guys are met and played a lot of the top mm. pros now then it was completely different I mean I'd, I had virtually never even met Stephen Hendry until I turned pro um, so I uh, yeah I, I, I managed to get past Silvino and, and I, I played alright in TV which I thought was, was decent and then I played Jimmy and, and, and another quick story about that I had never met, seen Jimmy White before or <laughs> met him I, I, that's a lie I seen him once I went to watch him play in a tournament but I'd never met him or been in the same room as him, like, really. 
And I met him the night before in the hotel, just through the, the, the old bus station. And uh, he came over to me and he said, Hi, mate, you know, how you doing? <laughs> um, he says, I'm, I'm Jimmy, you know, nice to meet you. Mm. And I was like, in awe, you know, yeah. I was like, gee, Jimmy was a huge, huge name then, and it still is. And, uh, and I, th- I was, oh, God, you know, I'm, th- this is going to be good fun tomorrow. I'm playing Jimmy White and T. I couldn't believe it. And uh, I, I, I played good, and I beat him, and I just couldn't believe it. I thought, this is weird, you know. And it was quite good money as well. I think I was on about then 30,000 quid. <laughs> so Based the 20p you were winning at the school. Well, exactly. <laughs> and not that long before. Yeah. So, um, you know, so things sort of progressed, and uh, then I played... Hendry, Stephen, in the um, in the semis, the, the day before the famous final, sixteen fifteen, they put the blue up the cushion and whatever, and uh, I played Stephen the second. I think I was in front early on. Actually, I might have been three one up or, or even five three up. I can't quite remember. And it, but he steamed. He hit that button that he used to press to, to pull away from guys, and he, he steamrolled me, which was fine. And I thought, oh, this was good, you know. So once some money few ranking points and went back home the following day and then I think the, the B&H Masters qualifier started the following on the Monday or something and it was in the club that I practised in just as it happens and I managed to win that so it was kind of weird you know and I think I won about maybe four or five thousand pounds for that and got in the Masters which was another about eight or nine so I'd almost won 50 grand in the space of a few I thought this is this is good fun, you know. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's kind of true what I'm saying, you know. It, it just happened quite quickly. Yeah, and you got in the top 16, I think, only after a couple of seasons. Mm. But one of the reasons that I think you, you progressed so quickly was, you know, you weren't like a lot of new professionals, particularly young lads, teenagers come through, and they go for everything. You know, they're, they're, they're potters, and sometimes mm. they go in, sometimes they don't, but they're quite raw. But you seemed right from the start to have this sort of all-round game. I mean, you're known as angles because of your yeah. great knowledge of being yeah. out of snookers and so on. Where did that come from? Did you sort of study Steve Davis or anyone like that? Probably did. That, that's probably a good analogy. I, I did. I mean, I, I remember even at school, before even playing in amateur events, you know, 14, 15, sit, watching a couple of our guys at school. Everyone was into snooker then. And we'd talk about who would win the, the Yamaha and who would win the, the old Jamesons. And, and it was generally it was Steve Davis. And I thought, that guy's just unreal, you know. And I played in a club, actually, back they called the Steve Davis Snooker Club. So, I um, yeah, I was a big fan the way he played and he the technique and as I said earlier when I started it was it was a coaching class so I was quite technical from the start mm. you know taught to stand sort of semi properly and things like that so I had that schooling from the start it wasn't like I was just like I know Sullivan or who was just crazy talented who just needed a table and a stick and away he went um, so it was different that way but I also had a really good amateur career I, I think my last year as an amateur, I won every ranking event that was that was going, which was pretty good. And um, so I, it just sort of happened, as I say, pretty quickly. And uh, another quick story that uh, w- was a good experience in my last couple of months as an amateur. I played Joe Swale in the final of the English amateur, which is a bit weird. A Scotsman <laughs> playing an Irishman in the English amateur final. But anyway, um, I played Joe, and he, he got the better of me. I think thirteen eleven. Uh, so I had a I had a good enjoyable amateur upbringing and it was it was tough because tournaments week in week out and luckily for us we had in Glasgow <coughs> excuse me we had um, 
There was a club that had a pro-am on a Sunday and a Monday. There was another club that had a pro-am a Wednesday and a Friday, and that was every week without fail. I mean, it was just cast in stone, and everyone played in every one of them. So you basically were you were match sharp, and I played money matches. I played for 500 quids here and there, and I went down south and played for money. Um, played a few, I played a pro, I played Darren Morgan for money, and uh, Ian Brumby, probably a couple of others. So the schooling that I had, although it was only a couple of years, it was it was heavy stuff, you know. I mean, uh, I, I was practising Christmas Day even, mm. because luckily the club that I played at was open for a couple of hours for the guys to have a quick pint. So I would I would go in and play snooker. Mm. And, and so it just happened quickly. Yeah. Mm. Well, all that played off. I mean, you, as I say, you made a great start to your pro career. So let's talk about the Masters 94. Now, mm. Stephen Hendry had never lost a match in the Masters. He won it first to 10th, yeah. 1989, won the next four years as well. Mm. And you got through to play him in the final. He would have been the favourite, but you yeah, came through 9-8. Fun. What are your memories of that? Because that, I mean, that was a, it still is a huge tournament, but certainly mm. at the, the old conference centre. Yeah. Fantastic arena. Yeah. As arenas go, as you know, Dave, and, and snooker people who any snooker people who've been there tell you, even behind the scenes, underneath it was big, and uh, Jim Elkins and his team looked after everyone. It was just a special, special event, and I had been at it as a as, as an amateur actually. Um, I think my last year as an amateur went down, and f- strangely enough, watched Neil Folds play Terry Griffiths, which was good fun. Um, but yeah, it, it, it was the week. It was the week of the year. I think that any top 16 player really looked forward to it. Because you, you had your Christmas break, New Year break, um, and, and gen- you might have had the mercantile on New Year, um, just early New Year, but the Masters was the one you thought, right, OK, let's try and have a good week there. I don't remember anything about the early rounds. The final, um, again, I don't remember an awful lot. I, I remember being 8-7 down, and I thought, oh, this... this this is going to go pear-shaped in a minute if, you know, the way Stephen closes matches out. And I remember the, the frame to go eight each was, a, I think it was a bit of a dogfight in the last red, but I potted a great last red. I think came came up the table, uh, landed on a cut, and I just needed up to brown or blue or something. So all of a sudden it's eight each, and I thought, oh, this, this is quite nerve-wracking a little bit. And... Um, Stephen was famous for banging a long red in, and, and I, I fully expected that. Although I fancied it, mm. I, I, I've never been afraid. That, that, that's one thing I've, I never ever was. I was never afraid of playing anyone. I, I think everyone's a great player, but the strange thing is, I, I always think I'm going to win. And some, and I, you just do. Either you do or you don't, I suppose. Mm. And I always did, but genuinely did. I'd never said, "Oh, I, I can beat it." I just thought I could. So. Last frame, I think he went for a plant, and he, a long plant, which was risky, and uh, he, I think he wobbled it. He maybe pushed the boat out of touch, and I potted a really good red and made, I think it was seventy odd or something. It was a good break. It was a decent break, and I thought, God, this is this is weird, you know. Um, at the time, though, it's another match. You don't really think you've achieved much because it's, it's a match you, you go out and you see the table and you try to pop balls but yeah it's something that I'm fond of obviously I'm probably remembered for it in, in a lot of ways but I and I, I'm also remembered I know that I lost a, a lot of finals a lot more than I won but I played great in some finals and lost yeah. them you know I, I think I think you remembered for the, for the Masters well because it's the mm. Masters but also because you beat Stephen Andrew you never lost there yeah. so I mean that in itself is a great achievement 
Yeah, I mean, you know, that, but but as from a player's side, the, the fact that he'd won it the, the five times pre, I was nothing to do with any of those, so it's yeah. not my business. Yeah. You know, I know that's not a very great answer, but um, but sure, I, I mean, to win it five in a row, actually, I, I wrote a, a small blog recently on it, and, and to what would that happen again today? Unlikely. <laughs> Unlikely. So he was the king of the Crucible and the king of Wembley, and. and um, for me, it was just a pleasure to play him because he he was he still is my snooker hero in a lot of ways and and um, yeah it, it was it was good. I mean, I, the, the funny thing about a quick story actually the night of the final, um, I didn't have any time to celebrate. Or I was playing in the Merc, um, I think it was the Mercantile. Anyway, there was a tournament in the, the BIC in Bournemouth the following morning. I was playing at ten o'clock. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what I kind of remember about it because we finished the final uh, and it was, it was fantastic, you know, and big reception, as you know, then there was probably two or three hundred people there, uh, maybe even more, B&H guests and all the guests and stuff, and um, I didn't really get to be part of it. Um, Jim Elkins was kind enough to, he put on a car for us, so we drove down to, down to Bournemouth and, and I arrived in Bournemouth about two, two-ish in the morning, two, half two in the morning, and it was snowing that night, that's what I remember, which is unusual for that far south, I guess, you know. Um, and uh, that, that, so that, my, that's more my memories. I remember walking out that night thinking that was a good night's work or whatever, but it was snowing, and I thought, this, this is quite nice, you know. And we went back up to the hotel, uh, suit, monkey suit back in the case, and, and, and we jumped in a car and, down to, and I got about three or four hours sleep, and I was up and played uh, Dave Finbo the next morning, so... But t- yeah, I mean, nice memories, and this is a really um, square thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. I was watching TV last week. I was watching the Professionals and and uh, the old 1980s program, and it was filmed in the conference centre at the okay, end of it. Yeah. So anyway, I was watching. I thought <laughs> it was nice to see it because, as we know, it's now been knocked down. Hmm. And I watched it, and I, I recorded it, and so I'll, I, you know, I watched it again. I thought <coughs> just nice, nice memories. Yeah. Of even underneath, as you know, underneath the the, the tunnels mm. uh, kind of thing, and walking round and through the doors, and I recognised everything. Some of the rooms and the arena, obviously, was just always the same, and uh, it was nice to see. Yeah, so mm. good, lot, lots of good memories. You also won, uh, t- of course, two ranking <coughs> events: uh, Dubai '94 and Thailand '96. But of course, it was a bit different then because these days they would be on Eurosport, you'd be able to watch them, or they'd be on the internet or something. Mm. Back then, your sort of family and friends at home probably just following CFAX. They wouldn't have actually seen any of it. Absolutely, yeah. Different world back then. You'd get page three eight seven. That was about it, wasn't yeah. it? <laughs> and BBC two. Pressing refresh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, and waiting on page yeah. twenty two of whatever to come up. But uh, yeah, so. Um, yeah, Dubai was nice. I, I I remember I played Peter Ebden in the final, and I, again I don't remember much about the match. The only thing I do remember it was six each, and it was first to nine, and I was in the dressing room with my uncle at the interval, and I said to him, not out of arrogance, it was it was only us two there, so I can say whatever I like, but I'll be honest and say I said, look, what t- there was a flight back, I've, there was only one flight to um, it was Heathrow um, at the time. And it left at one o'clock in the morning, so you had to get checked in by about eleven, obviously. So I, I said, "Oh, what time is it?" And whatever time it was, I said, "Right." I said, "Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go out and win the next three frames pretty quickly, and we'll catch that flight home." <laughs> I was more worried about getting the flight. I mean, it's it's pretty pathetic, but it's true. Hmm. So you know, anyway, I did. 
and and uh, we caught the flight, and so did Peter. So it was about you know, midnight-ish by the time, and we're running for this flight. And Dubai was different then. The terminal, the airport thing was was small, and it was it was in and out pretty quick. So um, not not memories, as I say, of the match. More of the tournament. It was a brilliant tournament, I'm sure. Did you go yourself? No, I never went. No. Right. Well, that's a shame because yeah. it, it was a fantastic event. You had. Uh, a game of golf organised, which I'm a keen golfer. Most of the guys were uh, at the Emirates Club against the expats, and that was a good day. They looked after you just uh, unbelievably. I mean, there was a banquet every day in in the players' room with a different theme. One day it would be Italian, next day it was Indian, then it was Chinese, and the food was unbelievable. And, and hospitality hotel, there was a pool. In fact, Big Nolsey was there. <laughs> And he spent more time at the pool, as he does, <laughs> and playing tennis. And just great memories, you know. It was a fantastic event, yeah. But also, at that time, of course, John Higgins had come through. He was a top player, winning tournament. So you had yourself, John, Stephen Hendry, the, the Scottish top three, and you, you went mm. to the World Cup in 96 yeah, yeah. and won that. I mean, in some ways, it, you, you know, you had to be a real top-class player to get in the Scotland team. Completely different yeah. to ten years earlier, where, like, the world number 50 would be in it. That's right, yeah. I mean, I've got this... I've got some nice memories more so of the World Cup than probably any other tournament because a third of the time, I guess, you're sitting watching um, as opposed to playing when you're thinking of only hitting a ball. But, uh, yeah, that that was a nice experience. I, I mean, for me, obviously, probably more so because I got to play with two of the best three or four players in the history of the game, which is an unbelievable thrill. Although I was a decent player and I could play a little bit, these guys are on a different level. and to So to sit back and be in the same team as them, and they, they just go out and bash a long red in and clear up. So it was easy for me, you know. And, and um, it was, as I say, great experience. And Although I knew John, obviously I've known John since he started holding the snooker queue, but Stephen not so much. But that's simply just a, a geography thing because he lived... 40 miles from me and and although 40 miles wouldn't sound a lot down in England in Scotland it is because it well he's, he's drives five miles so that's it <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well exactly I, and there was about 10 security gates yeah. to get through <clears throat> but uh, yeah uh, I, as I, said, I didn't I think I only ever practiced with Stephen about twice ever which people would maybe be surprised about but uh, you know obviously I was pretty friendly with him but I, just, I didn't ever see him because I had guys of John's standard and other guys who I could practice with without having to travel. Simple as that. Um, and Stephen had his own guys, Billy Snaddens and Elaine Robidoux and such at the time. And still, anyway, um, so yeah. But the World Cup was good. Uh, we we thought we would win it. I think. I think that we didn't say that because you wouldn't. I, w- I wouldn't say anything like that to apart from to myself probably. Um, but yeah, we, we made it through, and I think we played Republic of Ireland the final, maybe. Yeah. And uh, it was a, it was a really nice experience, and we had a good night after it. Actually, when we won, we had a few. Be- Even Stephen had a beer, <laughs> so it was no, it was nice. Yeah. And yeah, and uh, I think myself and John woke up at the pool with towels <laughs> on top of us at, at, at eight o'clock in the morning. It wasn't a crazy night. We just thought we'll have a few beers, and it was nice to share. Although yeah. I didn't, they were used to winning. But for me, it was nice to, to sort of share winning a match or two and with, with someone because you, you pretty much these days you 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 win a match, you go back to your room and you sort of put the telly on. There's not much else to do, you know. 
But of course, you'd, you'd mentored John Higgins when he was young. I think he was sort of 50, 40 mm. or 15. And he told me that mm. before he went to, to sort of play you and practice it and sort of learn from you, he wasn't actually, he, in his words, he wasn't actually that good. No, I, mean, he, I mean, he puts it down to working with you to actually improving. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, maybe a, a small bit of credit would go to myself for John's sort of schooling in the game. Because he, he came into the club that I played in. But when John came in, again, as I wrote in my blo- uh, blog recently, um, he came in the club and he was just... You would term, as a, term him as... Yeah, that's that little John. He, he, he plays a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, but you don't... Nah, uh, you wouldn't give him much of a second. L- lovely guy, uh, mm-hmm. as he always has been. Um, he was a nice kid. But I was playing him one day and he, he hadn't done anything as a junior. He wasn't really winning much. He was he was just a little guy who was keen. So playing him one day, he was on 100, 100, 100. I'm just picking balls out all day. I said, so this boy's just done. I just thought, no, that, this is different. This is not, you know, this is something completely that I've never seen before. And that on that day, I said he's going to be a multiple world champion. There isn't any doubt of, in my, there wasn't any shred of doubt. <coughs> excuse me, and um, which was great to see. But I, I mean, going back to the point, I think John did get quite a bit out of it playing myself. I was four or five years older than John. I'd just about been on the tour, so I kind of knew my way around the table. And John, John would probably watch that and say, "Oh, right, right, right that's the way they do that shot and they play that." And, and John's a sponge, mm. you know. Once it's in there, you ain't getting it out, and mm. and and then he adds to it as he does, and and he just became what he became, which mm. is an incredible player. Yeah. Well, I think we can we can see it in his game because again, mm. just just a great all round player. Mm. Now yourself, your career continued. You were in the top sixteen for sixteen years. It looked mm. like you might never drop out, but then you did drop out. And mm. and uh, what, what did you think then? Because it's you know you're not guaranteed the Masters, you're not guaranteed no, the Crucible, no. and and sometimes when players drop out top 16 they, they just sort of keep going down the list don't they yeah um, but I, I'll be honest and say for me I, I, I don't have an ego a snooker ego I, I just, I'm not that way and and I just want to play mm. and I'm happy playing and because I fancy playing anyone and um, it, it, it wasn't maybe nice to drop down the rankings but rankings at the end of the day are only a number and uh, I had you know I, I th- I'd like to think that I'd, I've looked after you know what I earned and things like that, where maybe some didn't. Mm. I was quite sort of not sensible. I don't know if it's the right word, but I was all right that way. And so you didn't I, go mad. No, I didn't no. go mad. I, I I appreciated that it wouldn't last forever. It doesn't. You know, nothing, nothing does. Obviously, so I yeah, I was pretty sensible. So I was pretty relaxed about it all, and, and I just wanted to enjoy it. I mean, you go through ups and downs. Times you, you don't enjoy the practice. Uh, every player goes through that um, as you progress through your career. But I, in general terms, I've always enjoyed the practice, and I still do. Um, so I thought, yeah, I'm quite happy just playing. I work hard, and and then there's a little, you know, a little bit of a challenge to maybe get back up the rankings a little bit, which I've taken on, and and being around some of the younger players now has been good for me, I think, as well, and and having more tournaments. I mean. Let, let's say that in the late part of the noughties as a decade, the game was becoming ridiculously bad, wasn't it? Five, six, seven events a year. That there's not even any point in having a ranking list. Almost <laughs> it was, it was that you know, it was that bad uh, set up. <coughs> Excuse me. So yeah, um, 
the Barry Hearn years have been good for a lot of players, and uh, probably myself included. Um, I just want to play. Uh, so, yeah, um, I've got back up the rankings at a certain degree. But rankings don't, as I said before, especially now, they don't mean so much. Um, it'd be nice to be in the top 16. Of course it is, that's where people want to be. But I've had all that time. I, I, you know, I've got no desire, actually, to be in the top 16 or anything like that. You know, I'm a bit like probably Steve Davis, and although he's, in the, he's a far superior player than, than I could ever be, but... He, I think, just accepted when he, f- he fell out of it that, yeah, I've had my time, and you think, that's abs- I'm good with that, and, and I'm good with whatever's happened and whatever will happen. But what we have seen in the last couple of years is you back at the Crucible, I mean, you were mm. in the quarterfinals, it must be mm. nice to be back on TV, remind everyone you're actually still playing. Yeah, I mean, again, not really for me, <laughs> I, I don't have an ego that way, I just, I just don't, I just simply don't, I... I uh, I would. I, I wanted to get back to the Crucible, f- just for myself, just to rekindle memories of being there because I'd played there quite a few times, and that was that was the main reason for me to go back and say, oh yeah, yeah this is oh it's that feeling I get, you know, when you come out the curtain, and and only players who have done it can really explain. When you sit down, you go, oh this is quite intimidating, you know, this is, oh. but it's good. It's good and bad at the same time, and I've had those feelings the last two or three years. And it's been good fun. I, just, I want it to be fun. And if I can earn a couple of bob along the way, then absolutely fantastic, you know. Mm. We must talk about a recent frame you played against uh, yeah. Barry Pinches in Germany, ah, which, which was uh, you're now a yeah. record holder because... You, yeah, you, you, yeah. It's you, the only one. You, 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 well, you, you shattered the record slowly. 100 minutes, yeah. 20 se- 24 seconds, I think, yeah. longest ever frame. You don't have to take as long to answer the question, but okay. could you just talk us through what happened there? Yeah, uh, I think it was, oh, what was the score at the time? I was 3-1 up or 3-2 up, and uh, basically the black went over the pocket. I think Barry tried to cut the black in with the rest um, early on in the frame. It stuck over the pocket, and uh, about seven reds have gone on top of it. But the problem was I was about 40 in front, and I, I'm a mule, he's a mule, but we ain't budging, we ain't going anywhere. <laughs> I, know, but I know I'm not, and yeah. I certainly know Barry isn't going anywhere fast. So, so anyway, 50 minutes later, the black's still over the hole and the reds are still surrounding it. And I've got the upper hand in the safety battle, which is, which is no mean feat against Barry, I'll tell you. Anyway, so he's rolling into them, I'm chipping away, he's, ro- he's on the defensive and it just kept going. And Barry's not daft, he's, not, he's a clever player. And we're just a pair of stubborn buggers, isn't it? So, we, uh, so that, that basically was the, the gist of it. So that went on for about 50 minutes. And then towards the end of the frame, I'm going to be biased. I'm going to say I snookered him, which I did about 20 times, and he got away with it every time. It was just one of those freak... It was a freak occasion. Um, and it, it's not a record you want, but I don't really care. I didn't make up the, you know, whatever's. And it, it just happened. And um, Actually, my... My following match, I played Sam Baird and I won 4 1 and another. Mm. So it's, it, you know, it, it, it was just a weird thing that happened, I guess. Yeah. But I mean, there were so, so various people immediately, you know, it's like the knee jerk reaction <coughs> on bringing a shot clock. But it yeah. didn't sound like it was necessarily slow. It's just <coughs> high quality safety. And you're, as you say, you're being stubborn. You don't want to give the frame away because why would you? It, exactly. It was a freak frame. I mean, the black goes over the. Your first, my first reaction when, when the black goes over a hole in, in any match, any frame, is can we get a re-rack here, let's get a re-rack. That's the first thing I think about. But I'm 40 in front, I thought, 
I don't want it. You know, I'm probably. I actually lost the frame in the end. That's that's how good I am. So uh, yeah, um, I lost it in the black. But after Barry, you know, he he done well. But uh, uh, yeah, it was just a freak frame. I mean, look, I th- was it Stephen Maguire had a frame at the Crucible with maybe Mark yeah. King or someone about an hour and a half. These things can happen. It just you know it it happens sometimes. Um, We'll have a, a giggle about it one day, Barry, Barry and myself, probably, you know, because he's a good guy, he's a really good guy, Barry punches in there. Yeah, but it's there. Hopefully someone will beat it at some stage, but I wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah. It'll take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aye, in, in two counts. <laughs> uh, in recent times, of course, you, you've become quite prominent in the media, you're a television pundit on, on ITV, you've started a blog, which is always interesting to, mm. to see a player actually take the time to sort of show it from their point of view. Do you enjoy the media stuff? Yeah, I mean, very much so. I, uh, I certainly kind of came by chance. I think the first time I had uh, done a little bit of commentary with Eurosport, with yourself and Phil and stuff, which was a good experience. And and, uh, and then ITV, luckily, um, I think Clive was quite instrumental in, in putting my name forward to, to come down and, and do some work. So it was, it's been good fun. It's, t- it's completely different. Um and I do enjoy it. I've always enjoyed, and the the, the blog thing. The, the main reason, actually, uh, there's two or three main reasons that I, I started doing it. I suppose one is give the fans a little bit something back if if there are any. You know, there's a lot of snooker fans out there. Give them something to read. Also, it'll pass some time on flights mm-hmm. uh, for writing. I find writing is uh, the quickest time passer, which you would know all about being a really good writer yourself uh, well not yourself because I'm rubbish but um, yeah so it, it passes time and uh, I've always admired good writing you know I've admired your writing and uh, anyone who is, is good at it you know I've, I've had genuine admiration I like reading mostly sport based things you know but I'll read some tabloid newspapers and it's just absolute rubbish, you know, and it, and it annoys I've, me. I've written for those as well, by the way. <laughs> no, no that, that wasn't you. Um, um, and, I'll re- and I actually get it annoys me. I think, oh, that is just lazy journalism. Lazy journalism that really gets on my goat. But uh, I admire good writing. And, and so I thought, well, I'll have a little go at writing. I'm not doing anyone any harm, so... You know, and I'll enjoy it and get something out of it. And if I learn a little bit, which I, hopefully I will do, then then good. You know, I just want to do it for fun, really. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean it's excellent. And and the good thing about it is, you know, you go in the players' room and you'll hear players sat around giving their opinions and, and talking about stuff. But they don't necessarily, when they get in front of a microphone, repeat any of it. But you're, you're I mean, you've sort of earned your stripes. You've been a pro a quarter of a century. Mm. You know, and and I think people do actually listen to sort of a senior professional when when yeah. when he sort of reflects. <laughs> you did the one the other day about greatest players of all time and of course you played them all so you can yeah. actually have that opinion yeah I mean I, I, I wanted to do that I mean obviously I, I left out Alex Higgins I think I only played Alex twice which is really he was more early 80s obviously wasn't he and, and uh, but obviously a great champion but I thought you know I'll, I'll write my own opinion and, and I'll enjoy writing it because I'm writing about guys like The Nugget and Stephen and John and they're, they're my snooker hero and Jimmy you know and I enjoyed it, and and uh, yeah, I get something out of it myself. I think I'll write it, and then I'll read it back. And I, I'm the sort of guy because I'm rubbish. I've got to write it, then read it back, and then even still, it's rubbish. But anyway, <laughs> that's not really the point. The point is, you know, uh, as I say, I get a little bit of something out of it, and it, if it gets people talking a little bit more about snooker, even in a small way, then 
then good, and, and there's no harm in it. Cool, okay. Yeah. Well, j- just to wrap up finally, mm. you, you're still go- very much going strong. Do you still enjoy being a snooker professional? Obviously, the, mm. it's good that there are more tournaments, but there's a lot of travelling now. Yeah. It can be, I'm sure, be quite tiring. You're not home as much. Do you still enjoy it? I don't enjoy the travelling, I must be honest. I, I used to not mind it, but it, obviously now we go to China and, and Thailand and places... Not so much Thailand that often, but as a combination of going to Asia and, and wherever, it's pretty taxing. I mean, for anyone who doesn't do it, it's difficult to explain, but it's a day's travelling, sometimes a day and a half travelling to get somewhere, and it's when you get to the tournament, your jet lag is, is pretty pretty bad, and you're playing maybe two or three days later usually. And the last time I was over there, I was in Shanghai this season, earlier in the season, and and um, I played ding, and the tight. I'm not making excuses. I'm, I'll tell you the facts. Is I never slept any more than three hours mm. in the whole time I was there, and I'm not like that. I'm a, I'm I'm like a bear when I sleep. <laughs> I just when I'm out, I, wild horses could run over the top of my bed, and they ain't getting me up. So it was three, and, I, and I'm playing the match, and I, I was my eyes. I, I wanted to go to sleep. Um, so that annoys you that. You travel all that way to feel that bad, and just you can't see. So that's difficult, you know. And, and uh, it, but it's just the airport side of it. I'm I'm pretty bad with. I love being in the places. Mm. I quite like you know, like Thailand. I love the street food, and uh, that that's the big advantage of having been fortunate enough to travel quite a, a big part of the world. Um, and I mean, I, I remember when I first went to Thailand, I was twenty or something. And I, I didn't know anything about food. Now I'm a big foodie, kind of thing. I cook a lot and um, I really enjoy it. And going to Thailand, I now would eat on the streets mm. rather than in the hotel because I find it just, uh, you know, you learn more and you enjoy it more and you're in amongst the, the, the punters more and I, I like that side of things. But uh, I get terribly homesick, really, really badly homesick when, when I'm away. Um, not when I'm in England or so when you go to, to Asia or which so then you can relate to the, the dings and the other guys coming here you wonder do they have the same problem I guess because um, we've got a lot of Chinese players coming in don't we and uh, but they fall away they've fallen away quite a bunch of them the Lee Yans and a few others but uh, hopefully they'll come back but yeah the travelling's difficult but it's part of the job but we're we're moaners by sort of our nature snooker players, aren't we, as you know, and uh, so I'll moan about it, so uh, I probably won't stop any time soon. Well, let's hope not. I hope your career has many, many years left to run, Alan. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Cheers, and thanks, everyone, for listening. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.